0: Let's open our Bibles now this morning to 1 Samuel. We're pursuing a verse-by-verse and chapter-by-chapter study of 1 Samuel. We find ourselves this morning beginning chapter 20. Our intention is to look at verses 1 through 23 in chapter 20. That's going to be our text. The topic we'll find there is this. David flees from a place of safety in Naoth, only to find himself hiding by the stone at Ezel. The title of our message this morning, Taking the Easel Way Out. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much as we do each week, uh, pausing to thank you and express appreciation for your word. I I don't know where we'd be, Lord, without your word to guide and direct us each day, to uh, humble us, Lord, and then to reveal Christ to us, uh, to lift us up. To give us, Lord, the uh, energizing of the Spirit, Lord, to go out into the world and to face uh, blessings and buffetings depending on what you have planned for us. This morning as we pursue the narrative and see some of these episodes unfolding in the life of David, I pray that the application would be your application for our church and the individuals who've gathered here today. That you would speak to each heart one by one, personally, and that we would know, Lord, how much you love us, how much you care for us. That we would come to the amazing understanding again, Lord, that you are molding and shaping us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. That everything is working together for good because we love you and are called according to your purpose. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here Uh, either in the sanctuary, in the fellowship hall, or anywhere, Lord, on campus, that is not a believer. They haven't really been born again. That your Holy Spirit would convict them of the reality of Jesus Christ, of sin and of righteousness and of the judgment to come, so that they could become part of your forever family, so that when you do come for us, Lord, to resurrect us or to rapture us, they'll be with us. And so do these things, we pray, Lord, guide and direct us, be our teacher. To you be the glory, in Jesus' name, amen. If you've ever been interviewed for a job, you've probably been asked why you are leaving your current employment. It can be a tricky question depending on your situation. There are some things you don't want to say. Here are a handful of bad reasons not to give for wanting to leave your current job. Number one, my supervisor is an idiot. Number two, the corporate firewall started blocking my personal web searches and now I've got nothing to do all day. Number three, I didn't realize the mute button on my phone was broke while I was trashing my client. And number four, the court said I needed to stay at least 200 yards away from the premises. None of those will endear you to the interviewer. Not exactly the kind of stuff that will inspire a prospective employer. In our text, David is going to leave Naoth. In fact, it says he fled from Naoth. By the time we get to verse 23, he will be hiding by the stone called Ezel. If you remember our study last week, David was safe at Naoth. His hiding by Ezel shows he was no longer safe. Why leave the safety of Naoth to be cowering at easel? Well, that's what I want to explore because I think there are times in our lives when the reasons we have for leaving a particular situation or thinking differently about it may not be altogether good reasons. We can go from a place of spiritual safety and strength to a place where we are depending more on the natural resources available to us. And so I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, examine your reasons for leaving Naoth. And number two, examine your strategy for lingering at Ezel. First of all, let's examine reasons for leaving Naoth uh, just at the very beginning of verse one. King Saul wanted David dead. David had fled for his life to the prophet Samuel in Ramah. Samuel took David to Naoth in Ramah, which we said was a school of the prophets that he had established there. Saul received intel from his spy network regarding David's whereabouts. Three times he sent armed soldiers to retrieve David. Three times the Spirit of God prevented them by falling upon the men and causing them to enter into worship. Saul determined to go himself and kill David at Naoth. He too was prevented by God the Holy Spirit. Let's read the closing verses of chapter nineteen. Verse twenty-three, there it says, Then the Spirit of God was upon Saul also, and he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah, and he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner, and lay down naked all that day and all that night. The very next thing you read in verse 1 of chapter 20 is David fled from Naoth in Ramah. Now, it may seem obvious to us why David fled. Saul wanted him dead. He knew where he was and came gunning for him. But Saul couldn't touch David at Naoth. He was prevented by the Holy Spirit. Three times the army was prevented from getting him and a fourth time Saul himself was prevented. Now we might conclude. I think we do conclude that the Holy Spirit came upon these soldiers and then Saul in order to give David his chance to escape. In other words, he says, hey, I'll hold him down while you leave. If that was the case, If that was the spirit's strategy, why did David wait until after three waves of soldiers came and until after Saul himself came? Wouldn't it have made more sense to go right after the first group was prevented from seizing him? Now, I'm not suggesting that David could have stayed at Naoth indefinitely and avoided becoming a fugitive for the next 20 or so years. But he was safe for the time being, and his fleeing does seem to stem from a poor state of mind. We're going to see his state of mind in a moment when he pressures Jonathan to help him, asking his friend to participate in a lie. And so David definitely was deteriorating in his state of mind. I submit to you for your consideration that David could have stayed at Naoth for a time, but instead he fled. He was safe. At Naoth, it may have been the only place he really was safe at that time. And God made it abundantly clear to him that he was safe. No amount of soldiers, not even the king himself, could touch David while he was worshiping the Lord at Naoth. I'm calling this a Naoth state of mind because for us it's not so much about geography. It's about our attitude in whatever place we find ourselves. Where you are is probably right where God wants you. If you're not living in some obvious sin, if you're not backslidden, then God has gone to great lengths to put you in the place you occupy, whether it's at home or in the church or at work or at some school. In that place, in those various places, you are like David. There are people and forces coming against you. It's because you're a Christian. The world hated Jesus. It will hate you in some way. You have for an enemy the evil one, the devil, who is described as going about like a lion seeking to devour you. What a terrifying, uh, on one level, what a terrifying enemy to have. Uh, Some of you who, you know, hike in the woods and all that, and then every once in a while you watch one of these crazy stories on television about the mountain lions. They come out of nowhere. You never see them. You never hear them. Then they're on you. They're Ripping you to shreds. I have this fear when it comes to dogs. We we've had to adjust our route walking our dog uh, so many different times because people refuse to uh, leash their dogs. We got attacked the other night. My my little dog, my little Momo. She's so cute. We're walking along, and one of our neighbors, all of a sudden, I guess he you know the door, and you know how it happens, and his his. Uh, boxer came running over and i thought well there's nothing for it they sniffed each other and then i'll admit that my little dog is not friendly to other dogs but you know so she she don't want to be sniffed by a dog you know and so she didn't really i don't know what she did she sent off pheromones or whatever they did next thing i know the boxer was like attacking my little dog it was all teeth and eyeballs I had to grab the thing and throw him off of her, you know, and luck, you know, the neighbor comes out and he finally grabbed it and we stared at each other. I thought we were going to go at it there for a minute. It's crazy, you know, and then you're all like adrenaline. You know, I don't think I've slept since then. But anyway, so you have enemies. You're a target, believe it or not. The world hated Jesus. It'll hate you. You have the devil as an enemy. Ah, yes, but you also have the supernatural enabling to endure those things, to resist Those things you have, the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, you have available to you the entire spiritual armament of a Christian soldier. You have promises like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and all things work together for the good for those who love the Lord. It's hard to maintain a naoth state of mind. Like David, we assess the tremendous spiritual advantages we have, but we flee nonetheless and find ourselves acting and reacting as mere natural men and women. Instead of availing ourselves of every spiritual blessing, we start to seek solutions for our circumstances in the strategy and the supplies of the world. At least some of us need to return to Naoth as a state of mind. We are right where we're supposed to be, but we're not meeting the enemy or the challenges spiritually. We're seeking more natural, more obvious, more worldly solutions. Let's take a stand, a spiritual stand, and watch as the Holy Spirit empowers us through whatever it is we are facing. Uh, it, essentially, we just sometimes need to remember certain things and change our mind. This is why the writers to the New Testament, they say, hey, stop considering it a strange thing when you fall into a trial. Why do they say that? Because as soon as you fall into a trial, you do consider it a strange thing. I do. You think, wow, why is this happening? What's going on? I want out. And then uh, Peter and James come along. And they say, don't think this is strange. This is normal. This is the Christian life. You should think it's strange if you're not in any trials. I remember a couple that we knew down in Southern California. I mean, they were, you know, like Ken and Barbie, you know, just everything was going right in their life. And he's the husband used to say to me uh, sometimes uh, he was exaggerating a little bit. He would say, man, sometimes I don't even feel like I'm a Christian because we don't have any trials. Everything seems to be going great. And I said to him kind of flippantly, you know, over the years, I said, well, just wait. And and man, at one point, I won't get into the details, but such a severe trial came their way at one point. And so, uh, you know, you can't consider it a strange thing. And so a lot of times we're at Naoth, we're we're, we're just, you know, spiritually blessed. We're standing on the promises of God and everything's going along. And then something will change, something will happen And all of a sudden we begin to move from that nail state of mind into more of a a worried and fretting state of mind. We begin to, as we'll see later on in our text, we begin to hide uh, at at some stone somewhere, some easel. And and we're, we're, we're still Christians, everything, you know, we believe everything we believed 10 minutes ago, but it's not being applied anymore. We're not taking our stand at work or at home or wherever it is that God is saying, now I've put you here and let's see what a transformed supernatural life does with this situation. I know what the world can do with it. I I know the medications people take and the, the different strategies that people have. What can you do in this situation that will reveal my glory? And that's what we're talking about this morning. And so let's take our stand. How do you know you fled from Naoth? Well, a few answers to that question are revealed as we follow David down to Ezel. We're going to examine your strategy for lingering at Ezel in the remaining verses. David wanted to talk with his friend Jonathan. Seems okay till you realize that he was fleeing back to the place he had fled from. His strategy to seek answers and aid from his friend actually brought him away from deliverance and into danger. It's a reminder that our own strategies, our own methods, our natural approach to difficulties is going to be a step in the wrong direction. And so let's read verse one again and continue. It says, then David fled from Naoth and Ramah. He went and said to Jonathan, what have I done? What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So Jonathan said to him, by no means, you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. And then David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Now, I want to be careful to... Uh, not come across as being unnecessarily critical of David. It's too easy to criticize Bible characters. Uh, You know, it's almost impossible sometimes to put yourself exactly in their place. And so I don't want to be overly critical of David. Still, I need to point out David already knew why Saul was seeking to kill him. He acts here like he can't figure this out. What's wrong with Saul? Why is he trying to kill me? Basically, says, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm a righteous man. And that's all true. He says, but why is Saul trying to kill me? Well, number one, David knew firsthand that Saul was being troubled by an evil spirit sent from God. His initial in, uh, invitation to meet Saul and to minister to Saul was to come and play his harp while the evil spirit was upon Saul. And uh He'd been, uh, had spears thrown at him several times as Saul was under this evil spirit. And so, reason number one, Saul is trying to kill him. He's under the influence of an evil spirit. Reason number two, David knew that he had been anointed the next king of Israel. That's not going to sit well with the current king of Israel. And you can imagine that there might be some animosity. From Saul to him. And so David had a clear picture of what was going on. But now he acts like he can't figure it out what's going on. And so he he has fallen from a place of safety at Naoth. He says, I'm but a step away from death in a sense. Sure. But I don't know how much more God could have done to show him how safe he was. Here comes an army. What should I do, Samuel? Let's worship. Are you crazy? No, I'm an old prophet. That's all I know how to do. Where's that army? They're prophesying. They're worshiping the Lord. Army number two, army number three. Here comes Saul. He starts prophesying before he even gets there. And next thing you know, he's nude prophesying. We talked about that last week. You want to know what that's all about? What God is showing David is that I can strip your enemies down. You don't need to fear your enemies when you're walking with me. And so David looks at all that and he says, "Uh, three armies, the king, I think I'll run for my life. I'm a step away from death. Why is he trying to kill me anyway? And this is a major mind shift. And this is what happens to us. And this is why we need to constantly remind ourselves of who we are in Christ and what the Lord has done for us and given us. I love Peter his epistles, because he keeps saying, I put you in remembrance of these things. You know, a lot of times, uh, you know, it's wonderful to hear new things that you've never heard before when you're studying God's word. And there are plenty of those and there always will be. So often we need to hear the things that we have forgotten, things that we need to remember. Remember? One characteristic of abandoning Naoth then is reassessing a situation as natural when it is really supernatural. We abandon Naoth when we forget that our struggle or our wrestling is not with flesh and blood. It's with supernatural powers that are against us. They can only be overcome with the supernatural blessings that are provided us. And so that's what God was showing David. He says, this is On on the surface, it's an army, it's a king. Below the surface, there are forces involved here, supernatural forces that can only be overcome, not with weapons, not with armies, but with worship, with spiritual means. Uh, And we need to learn that lesson. When you're having trouble at home, trouble at work, trouble wherever, it, it oftentimes manifests itself in relations and in people and you think you're having problem with that person, but there is a spiritual dimension, a supernatural dimension, and that's why the answer is to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit and to pursue spiritual things. Now in verse 4, so Jonathan said to David, whatever you yourself desire, I'll do it for you. David said to Jonathan, indeed, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat, but let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that I that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there's a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he thus says, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is angry, very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself. For why should you bring me to your father? Now, whether or not you think it's okay for a Christian to lie in order to save a life is not an issue here. David was in no immediate danger. God had miraculously repeatedly protected him. And besides, he had been promised that he would be king. It's like the disciples when they were crossing over the sea there and Jesus was asleep in the boat. And they were afraid and they woke up Jesus. Jesus had said to them, we're going to go over to the other side. That was the word of God. There's no way they were going to sink. But they didn't stand on that word and they woke Jesus from his sleep poor Jesus. I mean, he hardly ever slept. You realize, you know, the guy for three and a half years, he's, he's ministering, 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 exhausted. And then when it's time for him to rest, he's praying all night and he finally gets us a, a, you know, he can saw some logs on the boat. He's so tired that he's in the middle of a, you know, a practical hurricane out there so much so that these seasoned fishermen are afraid for their life. And instead of just standing on the word of God, they woke him up and say, you got to do something. And He did. He said, peace, be still. And that was it. It was calm. It was like glass. And so David had the word of God. He had been anointed the next king. He wasn't king, so he could expect that he was going to live long enough to be king. And, uh, you know, he wasn't in any immediate danger. What he does do is sad. He asks his friend to participate in a deception he pressured Jonathan by insinuating that if he didn't help him, he might as well kill him. He really added to the, the seriousness of the situation. If you don't help me, I'm going to die or you might as well kill me yourself. You are my last hope. That's a lot of stress to put on a relationship. And I would say another characteristic of abandoning Naoth is putting stress and strain on earthly relationships. It is demanding help from others. When God wants to be your help, it is manipulating others into helping you. Now, this is a little tricky because we are to care for one another. We are to minister to one another. We are to come to each other's aid, but not from a sense of guilt or pressure, not because we're being manipulated, No, it must be from grace, always recognizing that Jesus is the person who can help the most. Any help asked for and offered must point to him. And so, uh, you know, some of us have been in situations before where we just don't see where our help is coming from. And so we turn to others uh, and we go to them, but, but we instead of just laying out what's happening, sometimes we we put pressure on them. I know uh, you guys maybe don't experience this a lot, but if you're here at the church or at different churches or if you've worked in volunteer positions before, uh, you have to deal with the struggle of people stopping by who are asking for a handout. And, and we take each of those requests extremely seriously. Uh, but over the years, especially when I was down in San Bernardino, I you learn that some people are sincere and some people are insincere. Uh, it doesn't mean we don't have the the right to look at a person and say, well, well, you know, they're disadvantaged. They brought it on themselves. It's their problem. It's not my problem. It is something that we want to be concerned about. But the reality is a lot of times people don't really need your help. They're just scamming you. Uh, and so. Uh, you know, we take the time. People come in and I sit down with them or Gina will sit down with them. We say, well, tell, tell me about your story. I remember a guy stopped by years ago uh, at our old church office and he said, you know, I just, I just, you know, need enough money to get to Arizona for a funeral. My grandmother died and I was her favorite grandson and I have to get to the funeral. I said, all right, all right, that's cool. I'll, I'll drive you down to the train station and put you on the train or put you on. But, well, you don't need to do that. I just, you know, just need the money for the ticket. I go, no, I'm happy to do it. Buy you some lunch. No, you don't need it. Well, okay, that's what I'm going to do. If you want to go to Arizona, I'm going to put you on the train. Okay, you know, well, (laughs) knowing that he could probably cash in the ticket, you know, and stuff. I'm not I wasn't born yesterday. Uh, And so he so I go. So uh, where in Arizona are you going? "Uh, Tucson. Oh, okay, All right. What, what funeral home? I don't know. Really? How are you going to find out when you get there? I just, I'll look in the phone book and call around. Hey, let me help you. Well, let's do that now. What's your grandmother uh, or grandfather's name? I don't know. Okay, why don't you just go? Because there is no grandmother, is there? Uh, there is no Tucson. I mean, why don't you just come in and tell me you're down on your luck? We'll share the gospel with you. We'll buy you some food. I mean, what, what's all that about? Uh, and stuff. Now, sometimes we do that as Christians to our friends as well when we're in trouble, putting burdens on them. Uh, it's, it's a sign that we've left a place of standing on the promises of God and are hiding by Azel. Now, verse 9. Jonathan said, Far be it from you, for if I knew certainly that evil was determined upon you by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? Then David said, uh, to Jonathan, who will tell me, or what if your father answers you roughly? Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field. Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow, or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety and the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Now Jonathan agreed to the strategy. He was a good friend put in a tough situation. I don't want to say anything bad about Jonathan, but essentially he, he said, I'll go along with your deception because of our friendship. And, and I, it's a, it's a rough situation to be put in. Now, what if somebody puts you in a tough situation, puts the pressure on? There's a hint in Jonathan's answer to David that we ought to pick up on. Jonathan said, the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Jonathan was stating the spiritual fact that David would replace Saul as the next king over Israel. Jonathan, whether knowingly or not, was reminding David of God's sure promises to him. Your obligation as a friend, as a brother or a sister, is to call Christians back to the place of trusting in the Lord to deliver them. It might also involve helping them. But if it does, it will be in a way that isn't a deception or that isn't a lie. Jonathan had more to say along those lines. In verse 14, we read, And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Jonathan, you know, was next in line to be king over Israel, but God had instead anointed David. When it came to monarchs and monarchies, It was common in eastern cultures for the king to kill anybody who might threaten him for the throne. Jonathan was asking David to spare him and his family once he ascended to the throne. By way of application to us, I see in these further comments by Jonathan an encouragement for us to lift the eyes of our brothers and sisters above the earthly horizon and into the heavenlies. Look to the future king and his forever kingdom. First on earth, then in heaven. Let's encourage one another to live as if we really understood that one day we will stand before our Lord and Savior to be rewarded and to receive our inheritance. And so, not so much when somebody comes to you just for financial help, but you know, just in our daily conversations and you're talking to a brother or sister and they're having a tough time at home, they're having a tough time at work, they're having a tough time somewhere... Uh, I know my first impulse is I, I look at that person, I love that person, I think I don't want them to suffer, I don't want them to be going through difficulty, so why not get the other job? Are there any other jobs out there? Get the other job, forget that. And I think what Jonathan would say is, well, wait a minute, now we're, we're not just living for now. We're not just living for this job and for this time. God has you there for a reason. Uh, is that reason done? Is He done molding and shaping you? Is He done using you at that place? And a lot of times we really should say to other people, hey, snap out of it. Remember that God puts you there for a reason, and it might be for this very reason, so that you can show patience and joy, and so that you can be this example of a transformed life in this situation. Uh, whether it's a, uh, you know, one of the problems, big problem in the church, of course, is marriage and, uh, and divorce among Christians. And I think sometimes my experience over the years is friends and family aren't very helpful. Friends and families, they sometimes take a, well, gosh, I don't think you should do that, but I don't want to ruin my friendship. Yeah, how about you just tell them you shouldn't do that? Let's get counseling. Let's get help. You know, let's let's uh, do what the Lord tells you to do and stuff. And that's that's what I see happening here. Let's lift our eyes above the immediate to the future. It's not in our nature to want to sacrifice now in order to gain later. And this is even more of a problem when it comes to sacrificing now in order to gain unseen spiritual rewards later. We're a kind of an on-demand culture. We want everything. We want it right now. We want it to work. I think it's hilarious. Those of you who've lived long enough to remember a time when there weren't any personal computers, right? And the portable phones were the size of my podium. And they didn't work anyway. And so now, you know, you go online, you download free software, and then you're mad when it doesn't work right. And, And, you know, you just expect everything to work just right. And everything right now. And we carry this over into our Christian life. And God says, you know, He's trying to say to us, this is a situation where I want you to share in the fellowship of my sufferings. And you're like, what? Yeah, because in the future when you stand before me at the judgment seat, i'm going to show you how well done you know that was and what a joy it was i've got i've got stacks of crowns for you back there that you know it's going to be crown city i'm just going to be throwing crowns at you. you're like ah, i don't want that i want out of this right now and into something that's a little bit more convenient a little bit more comfortable and i think as christians we uh you know if you want to be a friend to somebody you need to put them in remembrance of eternal things and say, hey, God's got you there for a reason. Now, don't be trite about it. A lot of times we can come with some trite thing, you know, and, and not really enter into a person's suffering. We can just spit out Bible verses and, and sometimes, you know, the, the word doesn't return void, but you know what I mean. They're like Bible bullets or a Bible hammer over the head. I mean, let's be gentle about it and be real about it. Sometimes you haven't suffered I've been in situations as a chaplain with other individuals, and I try not to say anything stupid. It, believe it or not, I can do that occasionally. But, uh, you know, I've heard other people say things to comfort people. And some people are honest and they say, what do you know? You know, somebody will say something trite like, well, it, it'll get better. Really? What do you know? Are you? Have you ever been in a situation I'm in? Uh, No. Well, then you don't know anything about what I'm going through. Shut up. I love it when people are honest. Like I really do. You know, I've had people say that to me and I thought, you know, and I say, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I should have kept my mouth shut. Is there anything I can do to help you now that I've ruined our relationship? You know, that kind of a thing. I mean, it's crazy sometimes. And so you you can't just swoop in and, you know, start reading some Amy Carmichael to somebody and think, oh, that's the answer, you know. But you can't go along with somebody who wants out of a situation that God has put them in. Be like Job's comforters at the beginning of that story where they just sat with him and just by their presence said, I love you. God loves you. I can't imagine what you're going through. But I'd be happy to watch you go through it and to remind you that, that Jesus is still there. And uh, I think that is something lost sometimes among American Christians and world Christians. It's like, hey, get out of that if you can. Our first inclination in our own life, let's get out of this terrible situation. So, sure, why don't you get out of it? And God you know, goes through a lot of trouble, I think, to set you up in these situations. And as I've reminded you over the weeks with David, if you're not in that situation with that terrible boss, some other Christian's going to have to come in there and take your place. Are you wishing that on them? Hey, I want the easy boss. You take the tough boss. I don't want to suffer anymore. So let's encourage each other. There is an eternity coming and that only what's done for Christ is going to last. And so the remaining verses now, Jonathan, again, verse 17, caused David to vow because he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. And Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on the day of the deed and remain by the stone Ezel. Then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And there I will send a lad saying, go find the arrows. If I expressly say to the lad, go look, the arrows are on this side of you and get them and come. Then as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you. Go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed, the Lord will be between you and me forever. Now, we're going to see how this plan played out in the remaining verses. For now, we're stopping at verse 23. We're leaving David in hiding, crouching by the stone Ezel. It was apparently a natural feature along the road that directed travelers on their way. You know, we give directions like this all the time. You know, drive up Highway 99 until you smell sulfur and then turn and you'll be in Hanford. I mean, that kind of a thing. Ezel is a powerful, insightful contrast from where he was just a few verses ago. There he was at Naoth with Samuel at the school of the prophets worshiping with them their worship was so powerful that physical armies were overcome by it the murderous king was himself overcome by it left naked before god now he was at the stone azel david was lying inviting his friend to lie and living in fear he wasn't worshiping at least not openly he was worrying some of us need to come out from our hiding places we need to come back to the place of worship of the total incline of our hearts to the lord If any of this rings true to you, then just return in uh, in your mind to Naoth. You probably don't need to go anywhere so much as it is a state of mind. All spiritual blessings are yours in abundance. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. All things are working together for the good. Your situation may not change, it may get worse but you will be delivered through it all by God's great power. And so, you know, maybe some of us or all of us or one of you, you're in a situation at home or at work or somewhere else. It's, it's not a situation of abuse. I'm certainly not talking to, let's say, a, a wife who is being physically abused by her husband. Obviously, you know that that's in a whole different dimension. But you're in some tough situation and, and you used to... And you're you're thinking this morning, you know, I used to have a more spiritual impression of this, but it's gone on for so long and I don't see anything happening that now I'm kind of worried about it. I'm wondering about it. I I don't know if this is where I'm supposed to be. Uh, Maybe I need to get out of here. And though I can't speak generally to everybody's situation, for at least some of us, the answer is no, you don't. Because God is keeping you there. He's kept you safe there. You're protected there. You're worshiping Him there in the sense that you're bringing glory to Him. As others see, you go through those difficulties as only a Christian can. And, 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 and so, if you recognize that, yeah, I'm at easel right now. I'd do anything to get out of this situation. I'm hiding down here. Then the return is just to Remember. The, turn, the return is to just be reminded. You probably don't need to go anywhere except in your heart. You need to go back to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving me this situation. I've been wasting it. I could have been patient. I could have been loving. I could have been kind. I could have been forgiving. I could have been all the things that you promised me I am as a Christian. But instead, I just want to be comfortable. I just want to be convenient. I don't want to go through these things. But you know, Lord, really, now that I think about it, I do want to go through them because you're there with me. And so, Lord, let's get back to that place, that place of worship, that place of glorifying you. Because after all, Lord, that's all my life really is anyway, is something to glorify you. Let's pray. Father, thanks for these things. And I pray for myself, first of all, uh, that I would... Lord, uh, examine my life for the various easels that I am hiding uh, behind, that I would return to a place, Lord, of Naoth in all of them. For my brothers and sisters, Lord, the same. Because I know all of us really desire to uh, live and walk and breathe and move in that spiritual dimension, that supernatural dimension, where people are looking at us and saying, Really? How is that even possible? If I were you, I would. And then they insert some worldly or some fleshly attitude. When in reality, Lord, we have mercy and grace and forgiveness and love and abundance. And so, Lord, help us to return. And every time, Lord, that we feel like we've moved, uh, to return again and again and again until you're coming for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together.